Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Ken Wei. In 1978, the late Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping initiated China's reform and opening up policy. 45 years later, China has transformed from a poor agrarian country into a modern global power with a pivotal role in global economic growth. China's GDP in the year 2022 was about 18 trillion US dollars, the world's second largest, which accounts for about 18.6% of the world GDP, compared with a little less than 150 billion US dollars in the year 1978. Despite the world's various setbacks, China has kept a high level of opening up policy to the outside world and work with other countries on global peace and security. So what do we make of China's potential in reform and opening up? How can the country contribute more to the world? For answers, let's loop in our panelists. For the discussion on China's reform and opening up, uh, we have uh, Manny Menendez III, founder and CEO of MCM Group Holding. In Kuala Lumpur, Peter Chen, Deputy Director with the Institute of China Studies with the University of Malaya. And in Shanghai, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics with East China Normal University. He is originally from the U.S. And in Beijing, Liu Baocheng, Dean of the Center for International Business Ethics from the University of International business and economics. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Past the 45 years reform and opening up in China has been having tremendous impact on everyone here in this country and certainly almost everyone around the world. Now, many, you earlier in the very early stage of China reform and opening up, you were participating in working with CITIC, which is one of the Chinese business entities dealing with the rest of the world at the very early stage of reform and opening up. Tell me more about that. What was it like to well, participate in that process? What I've seen in China has not been good. It's not been great. It's been a miracle to see the growth in China and the growth from 53 cents a day uh, back in 1979 to uh, $12,000, $13,000 per capita per year is absolutely a miracle. Mm -hmm. So when in CITIC, uh, when I started, we did the first U.S.-China equity joint venture. We built the factory. CITIC was one of the uh, the partners in it and the Guangdong government and uh, a Chicago company called Beatrice. And we put together a food factory in Canton, uh, now Guangzhou. And uh, that was the first uh, uh, credited by the Wall Street Journal as a first uh, equity joint venture with a major Fortune 100 company. Mm. So I, I think that was uh, using the idea of the open door policy of market economy with uh, socialism and Chinese characteristics mm -hmm. and, and making things happen. Mm. And I think uh, Tianwei, the key is not only the policy, which Deng Xiaoping, I think, really uh, did an uh, incredible job at uh, making that happen. But also, the, I, I want to give full credit to the hard work and the determination of the Chinese people who I've worked with all these years, who have done a fabulous job mm. at making policy into the reality of the China today. Mm. Mr. Chang, where you are in Malaysia, how do you understand from your personal experiences, China's reform and opening up past 45 years. China has successfully alleviated 
poverty. Uh, it cannot be said even more than how remarkable this accomplishment is. I'm a philosopher, I'm a historian, and I see this transformation of China within one generation from a poverty-stricken country into one that is increasingly wealthy and prosperous is unmatched in human history. And for us in Southeast Asia and in Malaysia, uh, we ourselves have been struggling to overcome our sort of uh, uh, stagnant uh, economic and poverty-stricken mm -hmm. sort of state. And to see China do that, uh, we felt that there is something that, you know, perhaps an inspiration for us as well. And China's economic miracle uh, need not be contained within China alone. And through the BRI, and China is helping us in, in Southeast Asia and in the Global South to have our own version of our own Malaysian dream or Southeast Asian dream. Mr. Gregory Mahoney, Professor, Tell me more, what is your takeaway of past the 45 years? Well, you know, the first 20 years of national development in China uh, from liberation, uh, you know, it experienced a lot of ups and downs. But the one thing it accomplished uh, was it consolidated the political system and achieved uh, basic uh, self-sufficiency uh, in terms of food production, national defense. Uh, uh, on the other hand, it was also clear that many Chinese uh, uh, were, were ready uh, uh -huh. for new approaches, uh, especially from the mid-1970s. And uh, these intersected positively with the changes that followed. Uh, mm. uh, but as we also know, as, as has already been uh, not uh, noted, uh, uh, there were many uncertainties and concerns from the start, uh, uh, giving rise to, to Deng Xiaoping repeating uh, the idiom that it would be necessary uh, to cross the river by feeling the stones. Mm. Professor Liu, you are the only Chinese citizen among the panelists. Um, I'm sure you feel it uh, from very different perspectives. Tell me more about personally, what is the biggest takeaway for you, both as an individual and also as a professor of trade? Uh, first, as uh, the professor of trade, I would observe the China's success is due to the synchronization of domestic reform uh, versus the open door policy. It's really a two-wheel drive where we prepare the domestic market uh, by uh, deregulation and also by encouraging the private uh, sector to fully participate in the Chinese economic construction and uh, uh, by also uh, getting onto the track of international norms we are able to learn quite a lot to streamline uh, some of the uh, laws and decrees that China had and uh, mm. therefore uh, we uh, uh, virtually form a virtuous uh, uh, feedback cycle uh, mm -hmm. where they are mutually assisting each other so that we are able to move step by step mm -hmm. uh, on a gradual but solid basis to climb the ladder onto a high level development stage. Okay. And as a citizen, I do feel that uh, uh, we, we are the beneficiary of this uh, reform and also we are the contributors for such reform and therefore we need to further uh, to step up the momentum for China to move on again. The relationship between opening up and reform. Now, what is the logic between these two? How are they have been working together uh, for the achievements that all of you have mentioned in the first round of a discussion? I'm really curious about this. In the early days of reform, um, it, there was, uh, I don't, it's, it's kind of uh, hard to express it, but you know, there were things that were being done that were, that were not really 
uh, allowed to be done. Uh, for example, mm. uh, the model villages under the Mao period um, uh, uh, were, were very much at odds with the model villages that uh, Deng Xiaoping started promoting. Um, and those those model villages that were that were using more market uh, solutions would have been uh, castigated during the Mao years. Uh, I think this also you can point to um, um, the the construction of the special economic zones, um, where they created uh, like the, the these uh, special places where you could try out new policies and do things that were not allowed in other parts of China, um, almost like capital quarantine zones. Um, in in which um, uh, you know the, the the policies could be experimented with, uh, they could learn how to deal with uh, and manage uh, these capital controls, uh, learn how to uh, uh, see or right. at least figure out how they might impact society, and draw lessons from that that they they could then um, generalize for other parts of the country. Mm. So yeah, in 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 these cases, um, you first have this opening up, but then you also have to start to reform your system. To uh, to take advantage of these right. these these opening ups, mm. and to make sure that you're at the same time not being overrun, or or fundamentally uh, having your color changed uh, by these these very powerful outside forces that were coming in, and frankly looking to take advantage of China as as much as they could, um, um, you know, which is part and parcel of what uh, international capital wants to do, but of course China wanting to retain um, the the various uh, um, uh, gains that it had made during those first 20 to, to 30 years of, of its um, uh, new China development. I think that the, the logic was show people a better life, show people that the path of uh, open door policy is working, and then step by step make reforms as required. And I think uh, Professor Mahoney made a good point. I, when I went to Shenzhen in the early days, 1979, 1980, it was a fishing village. Uh, and I was picking lychee, and uh, I look at it today, which is a you know a, a great example. Eighteen million people, the third yeah. uh, wealthiest uh, city in China. But I think that the point is, uh, as China opened up, and we tried uh, different, uh, 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 whether it's joint ventures or wholly foreign-owned enterprises, and we were trying to build and prove that the open-door policy could work. I think then there is reform in various uh, areas of China to to uh, modify what was before to make it more current uh, with the current situation. So I think it's a step by step approach. Mm. Professor Liu, uh, you know, uh, by joining WTO, uh, we streamlined the thousands of uh, uh, laws and uh, decrees that are not really compatible with the global norm. And this is something that uh, prepared China to be able to dialogue and play the same rulebook with the uh, global partners. And uh, uh, so therefore, by opening uh, to the outside world, we are able to see where are those differences and where are the deficiencies that we need really to uh, make up. And uh, uh, in the meantime, uh, with more deep in reform, uh, more of those, uh, you know, the uh, companies are uh, given the right to do the uh, international trade, to get engaged uh -huh. in uh, joint ventures. And so uh, more of those, uh, you know, the human capacity are also uh, getting trained through uh, interaction with the rest of the world. So that's really a virtuous cycle that we are able to benefit from. Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines, this is World Insight. Mm. Mr. Chang, do you see some of these points 
uh, or shall I say, the earlier playbook can still be relevant and be able to help and support China through this uh, new round of deepening reform and opening up. Before I go into the next phase, I just want to recount uh, incident of Deng Xiaoping himself at the early parts of the reform visited Singapore and saw Singapore is a very good example besides learning from the West, perhaps from Singapore as well. How did Singapore manage to build its economy within two decades into where it was during the early 80s? So we in the Southeast Asia also felt the presence of China coming in, opening up and wanting to invite us to be part of the uh, China economic uh, at that, that time, we didn't realize miracle a lot of Southeast Asian entrepreneurs and capital uh, begin to move uh, into into China and help in the development of China's sort of uh, radical transformation. Now, 45 years later on, the capital, the flow of capital seems to be in the reverse direction. Uh, now we are benefiting from uh, China's uh, continuing opening up engaging with the rest of the world. And I think it is good that uh, China should continue to maintain that uh, open policy uh, to emphasize free trade and continue to, to engage uh, with Southeast Asia and the rest of the world. Many people have been trying to learn what the, re what the world is like, or what the world was like. But now, when you talk about the higher standards of reform and opening up here in China, it not only is a process of China looking at the world, but also it involves a lot about how the world is looking at China. Uh, how do you see the back and forth traffic of uh, uh, this question and uh, the possibility of uh, policies and synergies and also energy here in China for higher standards of reform opening up? Uh, the world has changed. China has contributed a lot to the GDP growth of other countries through its own growth. And now being the second largest economy, uh, I think it's around 21 trillion and U.S. is 27 or 28 trillion. Uh, we're representing, the two countries represent about 45 or 46 percent of the world's GDP. So we have a, this, this obligation uh, to work together. And I think with the world, especially with the U.S., the only way to do that is constant dialogue, knowing where common ground is. And I think there's plenty of common ground. And even, you know, someone said, well, everyone's leaving China. Well, a, a new statistic, 42,000 foreign companies this year has uh, set up in China, 42, 32% increase. And that shows you uh, more confidence in the China market. But coming to the policies, I think the only way to make effective policies is to look at the world and work with countries and dialogue with countries on both sides so that there's a clear understanding of those common issues that we can cooperate on. And those issues that are sensitive, or sometimes we call them red line, know what that means in clarity, black and white. So it's granular and level set that there's no misunderstandings going forward. And unfortunately, today in the world, there is a lot of misinformation about China and misunderstandings. And the only way I, I believe it's, it sounds like a simple solution, 
But it is, I think, the only way is face-to-face meetings with leaders, having these having these discussions, and rolling up your rolling up your sleeves uh, with high frequency. China caught the train um, during the grand transition, uh, almost like uh, 45, 40 years ago, um, both technologically speaking and also uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, geopolitics. But now the world is experiencing another grand transition. Nobody knows for sure where the wind is blowing, how it will blow, and what might be the biggest stakeholders as we are all trying to figure out what this grand change is about. So meanwhile, China has already become the second largest uh, uh, economy in terms of uh, total volume in the world, not per capita. Uh, and at the same time, geopolitically speaking, China-US relations becoming more complicated. So Joseph, this is an, certainly a, a combination of all new elements. So what does it take to have higher standards of reforming opening up to be achieved? That's a, 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 a mind-boggling yet exciting question. Joseph, your observation. You know, on the one hand, we can look, for example, at uh, China's tremendous success in the EV industry. And one of the ways that this was uh, uh, accomplished was by opening up and and, uh, forcing Chinese EV companies to be more competitive. You know, Tesla built, was allowed to build a a gigafactory in uh, Shanghai. It's the most advanced Tesla factory in the world. Uh, But this has prompted uh, uh, Chinese uh, automakers like you in uh, uh, Hafei, which uh, claim that they have um, bested the gigafactory in terms of automation. Um, and so this type of opening up is 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 really uh, part and parcel with uh, uh, high tech or, or uh, high quality uh, development. Um, uh, you know, what we see is, is China understanding that uh, reform and opening up uh, was good for China, but it also needs uh, to um, uh, demonstrate the case for other countries. Um, particularly countries in the global south that got mired in in their own uh, neo-colonial or post-colonial paradigms. Uh, uh, and through uh, mechanisms like the Belt Road Initiative, China has shown that these countries can grow uh, with China through win-win development. Uh, Peter, how do you see the legacy of reform and opening up uh, for the past 45 years to unleash the tremendous amount of energy, enthusiasm, uh, synergy uh, among the Chinese people and and also even among the partners that China work with. I think one of the remarkable feature of China's success, a feature that is unique to China and yet unfamiliar to us and also a dilemma for us, is the role of the state. The state has been so instrumental in bringing China to where it is within the last 45 years. And for pretty much the rest of the world, the state has never played such a role. If there is a role for the state, the state tends to be seen as a necessary evil. Um, That is something that I think the rest of the world will, and also China will have to find a point of understanding and reconciliation as to where a proper understanding of the state of the role is. The state of the role has been crucial in bringing China to where it is. But for much of the rest of the world, 
we prefer to not to see such a strong role of the state in our respective place, uh, in our respective country. We want to see the market-driven economy, a lesser role of the state. So that is where I think the challenge will be moving forward, whether China will be able to find a meeting point where we could see uh, understanding of where the role of the state and the public is. But no question, I think the, the unique feature of the Chinese story is how uh, the state has come to play such a significant role. Perhaps for us, the rest of the world, we should rethink about how we view and understand uh, the role of the state for ourselves. And maybe there is some lessons that we can learn uh, from China. So that's that's how I, I see it. Interesting. That is still in the in the thinking process, according to you, right, Peter? Yeah. Yeah. Many your thoughts on this. Oh, I, I completely agree. I think that uh, <clears throat> the state has, you know, one, one of the important features of this opening period is not only economic development, but stability. Stability and predictability is very important in business. <clears throat> and China has been able to have stability through this whole 45 years. Uh, how it transitions and where those lines are of the state involvement or provincial governments or local governments involvement. I mean, I think this is a very complex issue because you're talking about structural structural reform versus policy reform. And structural reform takes much longer and much deeper thinking. And I think when you look at the success of the country to start making changes, China, uh, like in the uh, Professor Mahoney said before, the special economic zones, part of the theory back then was we try an area and experiment so that we can tweak uh, whatever we need to tweak and not affect the whole country at the same time. So I think there uh, has to be some reforms based on the current global reality, but structural reforms are uh, done very carefully very methodically, uh, but I think they have to be done to uh, reflect some of the comments of our distinguished panelists of today's China with respect to facing uh, the world and how it makes contribution not only inside of China, but external, ex external face, <clears throat> I think is very, very important now. Bao Chang, your thoughts on this same question. In the first place, we still need a rule of law that's uh, to be further strengthened. So right now, uh, policy swings are still there to actually to damage the confidence of uh, business people and even consumers and citizens alike. So people need a better predictive, uh, a better predictivity. Uh, what is really lying ahead? And uh, uh, second, the uh, government is there to really redefine its role by providing more of the public goods and by uh, setting up the enabling environment for business play, because after all, uh, the uh, nation's strat strategic advantage uh, is really exemplified by the businesses they do, by the brands they represent, by the innovation they are able to create. So therefore, uh, you know, the uh, government also needs to readjust its role. And third is that uh, we still need uh, to uh, tackle with the hukou system where the mobility is uh, still an obstruction for 
anyone, uh, any Chinese citizen who are in Beijing, who, uh, for, uh, they should be able to buy the same type of cars, same type of houses, and also their kids are able to attend the same type of schools, receive uh, the quality. I think more fundamentally is that we need more capacity building. So uh, I think the government needs to spend more money on long-term investment into people. So right now, you know, the much of the focus is on mega projects, is on the uh, amplification of those, uh, you know, the production capacity. But uh, uh, given that we are facing a new challenge of uh, uh, technological transformation, so invest people can really get the right expected return on a long-term basis. That's all the time we have for today. You can always check out our program on YouTube and follow us on X and Facebook. I'm Tianwei on behalf of the team. Thanks for being with us.